How's everybody doing today? Good. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. <laughs> Man. Man, it's good to feel the Spirit moving in this place. He's touching a lot of people. This is exciting. So, uh, I got a question in light of all of that. Have you ever been on a day trip before out to some kind of site, some sort of fun place with your family or friends? I like day trips sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But no matter how much good you imagine is going to go into a day trip, because of the shorter schedule of things, there's bound to be tension, right? Uh, There's bound to be something that creeps in that wants to just steal away your joy and has all the power to ruin everything about this day trip. Uh, But despite all that comes up, oftentimes I've found that there's some kind of silver lining that I cling to (laughs) with all I've got. And that makes my experiences worth it. For example, uh, I love going to the Marine Science Center up in Newport, the Hatfield Marine Science Center with Angie and the kids. And even though I know going into this experience that my kids are going to be impatient, they are going to be jealous of whoever is in that station that's not them in that moment, Uh, I know that uh, they're also going to run amok in that very small display of uh, marine goodness. And so all that to say, I know this going into it, but there's this silver lining for me that I've, I've clung to and I love each time we go. It's not the little yellow submarine that's outside even though I'm a Beatles fan, and so I love the Yellow Submarine, and it's like, Yellow Submarine, here we go. It's not that. It's not the, uh, the resident octopus that is there that you get to go see and see how weird octopuses are. Um, it's not even the super cool topography station where you can make your own mountains and lakes out of kinetic sand. For me, I know, those are all cool things, right? For me, it's, it's not any of those. What makes it worth it for me is this tsunami readiness display um, where, uh, Rich, you can go back to the next, or the previous slide, maybe. Richard, I'm looking at you. Anyway, so the tsunami uh, readiness display is this uh, plexiglass box. And on one end of the box, you have sand, because we're at the beach. And so you have sand, and you have these Legos in one end. Then you have some water in between. And on the other end, you have this wave generator that somebody, maybe yourself, maybe you know somebody who wants to be tricky with you, is on the other side and is generating these waves that are just pounding the sand on the other side. And the goal of this display is to try your hardest with the few Legos that they give you to make some kind of structure that's going to withstand the waves. And because I love Legos and I love a challenge, um, I've discovered that it's really this great picture of the struggles that we have in the Christian life. As followers of Jesus, you know, we accept 
Christ as our Savior, we, we encounter His grace and His goodness for us. We experience His love and His forgiveness. And we continue on in this life of faith, and it's going well. But there's one problem. There is a real enemy of our souls that is bent on doing everything in His power to trip us up, to erode away the sand around our Legos, so to speak, so that those Legos go out to sea and are no longer there. And there is a real enemy of our soul that wants us to abandon our relationship with God, who wants to trip us up, to make us feel ashamed and to feel unworthy and to possibly abandon and also that our witness would get ruined. And so we, I think we all experience things like this in our life, not just with temptation, which is kind of the topic of today. We're in our study in Matthew, and the next topic is the temptation of Jesus. And so there's two ways of thinking of temptation in the Bible. One is that it's the enticement. Those are the things that we typically think of as temptation. But we, there's also this element of testing where you can be tested by something and it's a temptation, right? It doesn't necessarily mean it's enticing, but it's something that's challenging at you. And so I, I was trying to think of, you know, what do we experience in our lives that is kind of like this? So, for example, maybe things get hard at work. Maybe you hit a hard time with your family. Maybe conflict shows up in your relationships, Uh, The prices of things all around us go up while our income stays kind of the same or maybe even diminishes a little bit. Maybe we get sick or one of your loved ones gets sick, maybe terminally sick, and maybe you have a project or something that you're working on that is growing a lot larger than you had pictured before, and so anxiety starts to creep in. And with all of these things, it's not necessarily that the outcome is sin, but it's something that the enemy is trying to use to destroy us. Um, there's this great scripture. I forget the, the chapter and verse, but um, the Lord talks about how the enemy of our souls, Satan, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is what he's trying to do to Jesus through this Um, passage that we're going to be reading. This morning we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about being tempted and how Jesus set the example for us for how to overcome temptation and ultimately prove faithful in the end. So reviewing last week, we read about this moment in Jesus' life where he entered the waters of baptism, he got baptized, he, he identified with us through that baptism even though he was uh, perfect and without sin he identified with sinners who needed repentance and so he went through that action of repentance and fulfilled all righteousness that way and through that experience there's this moment that we read about where the heavens opened up and the holy spirit descended on jesus like a dove in that moment and that picture of jesus baptism in my reading of the scriptures it gives us hope it gives me hope when i read it that there's a new way to be human than 
um, than what we've experienced before because Jesus was empowered by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And because we identify with Jesus, as we put our faith and trust in him, we too get access to the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So I think that is a really important distinction for us today. We've been talking about victory this morning, how there is victory over uh, sin in our life or the, the chains that, uh, that shackle us and those kinds of things. And I think a lot of us have been touched by that kind of freedom uh, or that experienced some amount of that freedom. And so today we're going to look at what it looks like to really draw on the Holy Spirit to live this life. So the title for today's message, if you're taking notes, is called Overcoming Example. Our passage this morning is going to be Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring this morning is that we can overcome temptation like Jesus with the Holy Spirit. We can overcome temptation like Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And before we go there, uh, I want us to take a look at a few key passages that will help us shine a light on this topic of temptation and the Holy Spirit's role in helping us overcome and have faithful lives. First, let's go way back to the beginning where everything started to go wrong. The Bible records this moment where humanity fell from paradise. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 specifically. All right, Genesis 1, beginning, or, uh, 3, beginning in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? God, in case you're new to church and you're new to this whole experience, there was this moment in the first chapter of Genesis, or maybe, yeah, maybe, I forget now, I think it might be Genesis 2, but there's this moment where God gives them one rule, like the only rule that they have, don't eat from this one tree. And so, um, and he gives a consequence and all of that. Continuing in verse 2. So um, the woman replies, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat it or even touch it, which she added something there. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it, then gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed some fig leaves together to cover themselves. In verse 6, Richard, you can go to the next slide. In verse 6, we have this moment where we see the progression of 
uh, of what sin looked like for Eve. We see that her attention was captured. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and the enticement around that tree uh, in its outward appearance evidently outshone the regulation that she knew about that God had given to Adam and Eve. And so Eve was hooked. Number two, her appetite was compromised. The fruit looked delicious. Kind of like when I walk down the frozen food section at Fred Meyer and I see the ice cream on my right and I see that brown buttered bourbon ice cream and I think, yes, that will satisfy my hunger and so I will go for there. I will go to there and I will eat it and it will be wonderful. Evidently, she felt the same way about this fruit. And so uh, number three, we see that her ambition was convinced. The snake made his big sales pitch and she bought it. And she wanted the wisdom, the, the knowledge of the good and evil that the snake had guaranteed would come from eating this fruit. And so her ambition was convinced. And fourth, which is just the overall outcome of this, their action together, Adam and Eve, Adam was there too this whole time evidently, their action was catastrophic. And so instead of um, physically dying, which is kind of what they were kind of gun-shy and thought, oh, is this going to happen? I'm going to eat this fruit. And oh, oh, good, no physical death. But they did spiritually die that day. Adam and Eve, they were made... uh, without brokenness. They were made whole and complete. If you were to look at, um, in Genesis 1, that word good that God talks about um, everything in his creation, that word good actually means whole and complete. He says, it is as it should be. And so Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were not created with sin. They had not sinned yet. They were walking with God in the garden. They were, um, they were living in righteousness and in God's glory. But yet, in this moment, sin entered paradise. And sin, something that previously for humanity had not been created before, we created something awful and catastrophic. And that sin nature that gets passed down from generation to generation, we now experience that today. It's that inner bent that we have towards sin that we can't help but sin. And we've inherited that from Adam and Eve when they yielded to the temptation uh, that the snake offered them. And so we read also, uh, Richard, you can go to the next slide, in passages like Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, the Apostle Paul writes this, um, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And what the Spirit gives us desires what the are uh, that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Go ahead and go to the next slide. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he gives a list. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, 
idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. We kind of read about that a little bit ago. Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and in case there was nothing covered, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's interesting. Richard, next slide. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The difference is clear here between the flesh and the Spirit, is it not? The flesh is ruled by the sin nature, whereas the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us because of Jesus, and when we yield to His Lordship, we prove to be ruled by His holy nature. All of the brokenness that we see in our world today can be traced back to something involving the sin nature. And that other than being ruled by God and His nature, because God has good in mind for us, whereas the sin nature only has selfish desires, which ultimately corrupts in mind. Now, this also leads us to another passage. Richard, go ahead and go to the next slide. From Ezekiel uh, 36, verses 26 through 29, it reads this. uh, God saying to his people, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain and I will send no more famines on your land. The truth is God sees the problem that we're in. He's seen it all along. He knows we're stubborn. He knows some translations call it stiff-necked. I often tell my children, you stiff-necked kids. And it's true. They really are. I know they put on a good, uh, they put on the look good for you all with, you know, their nice smiling faces and their good attitudes to you all. But when we're at home, sometimes. Anyway, I digress. But, you know, so we, we, he, God sees that we have these stubborn hearts that are kind of like stone towards him and that really what we need is a tender heart. We need a new heart and we need a new spirit. The solution is found through covenant, so putting your faith and trust in Jesus, but then also being filled with the Holy Spirit in him giving us a new heart and a new life, that transformation that takes place, that born-again experience. And so um, that all of that is for us so that we would follow his commands and uh, be careful to obey his regulations in his kingdom. Now, God 
promises in Ezekiel this new heart and this new spirit, and that gives us hope of an overcoming example in Jesus himself. Like Adam and Eve, Jesus was born without a sin nature. So through taking on human flesh, Jesus pioneered a new way to be human that redeemed and restored us back to the way God designed us to be in the beginning that we read about in Genesis 1. Created beings that are meant to partner with God to build God's good and flourishing world with the help of the Holy Spirit. And all of this leads us to our passage today in Matthew chapter 4 and the big idea that we can overcome temptation like Jesus with the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, You can follow along in your physical Bibles, or I also have it conveniently up here on the screen in digital form. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. If you're taking notes, the first thing Jesus shows us is that we can overcome with self-control. We can overcome with self-control. So immediately following the baptism we talked about last week, this awe-inspiring moment, the Holy Spirit does something None of us would be expecting if this were the first time we're reading this this gospel or or the Bible for that matter. We don't expect that the Holy Spirit would do something like this. That he would lead Jesus into the wilderness not to have a party, not to be like, hey, good job, bud, fist bump, whoo. No, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was yielding his life to the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and through that experience, what the Father had spoken over Jesus at the river was about to be challenged in the wilderness. And this temptation in the desert, this testing of his character, was going to functionally be Jesus' 
final preparations for him to start his ministry. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were getting ready for a test or something, if I, I was in school or I had a big project coming up, I would want to eat a substantial meal uh, before going on into that kind of test, right? Um, in college, I used to go have a uh, country fried steak platter from Sherry's, for example. Like, bring on the sausage, bring on the bacon, bring on the, the, the pancakes and the everything, and the country fried steak with all the gravy on top, right? And coffee, clearly, because coffee, there should always be coffee. And um, all of this so that I would have nutrients or, you know, you might do something similar and you might be a lot more tame than I am. But um, where anything to get all cylinders firing on, uh, on, on in that moment. But instead of feasting, instead of doing what I would do in that moment, Jesus took the opposite approach and abstained from food. That's interesting. It, and I think it reveals that even though it's not pleasant, and even though it probably doesn't make the top 10 spiritual practices that we want to engage with um, on a regular basis or even at all, because fasting is not fun, um, but fasting actually prepares our souls to withstand the attacks of the enemy of our souls unlike anything else and so jesus engages in this practice in that place the devil hits jesus where it hurts and where i mean he's probably really hungry in that moment and he makes the suggestion hey jesus see those stones over there hey how about you make them some bread make me some bread too while you're at it he didn't say that but um my point is make some bread right He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Imagine just, I would be salivating at that moment. Like, come on. Thursday night, um, Angie made these rolls in a cast iron skillet. They were amazing. They were buttery, they were flaky, and they were so good. She's awesome at making bread. Just bread things in general. It's amazing. Uh, COVID was very good for our family in that way. Um, <laughs> But the enticement, man, to think about Jesus, I mean, Angie's really good at making bread, but think about the bread that Jesus could make if he just said stones become bread and they became bread. That'd be out of this world. And yet, Jesus didn't do that. He could have. He was probably salivating and starving, and he didn't do that. The point here is that Jesus, he, it's not whether or not he ate or didn't eat. I mean, he didn't eat right? But what's at stake here is that Jesus has a chance to be strong where Adam and Eve were weak. Jesus had the opportunity to change the witness about humanity from finding fulfillment in themselves or for themselves to finding fulfillment in God alone. And so with that fruit of the Spirit that we read about, that self-control from the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. He says, Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. That's interesting. And then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He, meaning God, did it to teach you 
that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And here Jesus fights the words of the accuser with the word of God. That's why it's important for us to be in the word and to know at least some key verses for us to know. And um, that, that's a total aside, but that's just really important for us to get the word in us. But unlike Eve, who was, had her appetite compromised, Jesus was stayed by a desire to feast off what, what God was providing through his word. And again, he was probably physically starving, but he was resolved and ultimately showed us what it looks like to exercise self-control in the hardest and most intense circumstances. So no matter what you're facing right now, whether it's a temptation to sin, maybe it's a temptation to go back into an addiction or some habit or hang-up that you have, or whether it's you know a, some trying time that feels like you just want to give up and throw in the towel, I want to encourage you that Jesus Christ has come to show us a new way because we can overcome temptation like Jesus with the Holy Spirit, and we can do that with self-control. Next, we can overcome with humility. Picking up in Matthew verse 5, um, the devil comes to Jesus, and, or he takes Jesus to the highest point in the temple, in the biggest city in all of Judea, and he challenged him to do this very strange thing by quoting a couple of lines of poetry from Psalm 91 that appear to be this blank check promise that, hey, you know what? Do this thing. Angels are going to come. You're not even going to get hurt. Blank check promise. But if we were to take the time, we're not today, but if we were to take the time to look at all of Psalm 91, it does say those words in there, but the devil takes it out of context. And really what Psalm 91 is about is it's this kind of assurance that we can have a trust in God because he's going to be with us through the hard times in our life. And ultimately we're going to experience favor and victory over our enemies. So what's the devil trying to do here? What's he trying to pull? He's trying to get inside of Jesus' head and trying to make him doubt who he is, his identity as the Son of God. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever encountered something like that? Maybe it's not, in, uh, maybe it's not temptation, but maybe um, you're in a moment where you're reminded about times when you failed. And you are reminded of these times in a way where the devil comes at you and says, I can't believe you did that. How could God ever love you? You know, you're not even worth that. Like, you're not worth dying for. Jesus, he wasted his blood on you. That would be the voice of the accuser. But what God says is, you are worth it. Jesus came to die in your place, to take up your cross for your sins and my sins. And thank God he did. Because through it, we get to be, as we identify with Jesus, we are children of God. And so the voice of the enemy comes in and tries to say, you know what, you're not really a child of God. You know, you sin too much. You're, you're still caught up in that one 
sin that's besetting you, you know what? You know, God should just wipe his hands of you. But yet, that's not what God does. God is there with us all the time. What the devil was telling Jesus to do was to put his confidence in things that he could do on his own as well. Things that he could control. And so the appeal and the enticement of this, um, this almost like firework level stunt revelation of Jesus' messiahship was enticing, but it wouldn't achieve what Jesus came to do. Because unlike Adam and Eve, whose attention was captured by the devil's arguments, Jesus was stayed by a focus for the path ahead, which would ultimately display God's love and his glory on the cross, not by jumping off of the highest place in the temple. So instead of stoking his pride, Jesus was resolved to be humble, to practice humility, to use humility to his advantage and uh, proceeding with what God had given him to do. In the place of attack and accusation, Jesus responded to the devil with the truth of God's word from Deuteronomy verse, uh, uh, chapter 16, verse, sorry, excuse me, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, where he says, quote, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa, which begs the question, and I think, Rich, you can go to the next slide, um, what happened at Massa? Well, if we were to go to Exodus 17, verse 7, it, we find out, it, it records that Moses named the place Massa, which means test, that's interesting, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? And how fitting is that? That in Jesus' place of testing, that Jesus cites this verse. Because it's almost as though Jesus was challenged to hold fast to the belief that through it all, through this trial, that God was with him. Almost like the accuser was trying to say, you know what, you really are alone. There's nobody else out here. It's just you and me, Jesus. How about you make these stones bread? Oh, you're not going to do that? Okay, let's take you to the temple. Oh, you should throw yourself off the highest turret. Oh, you're not going to do that? Oh, well, too bad you're still alone and you got me and everything, right? Now, that's not a very fun place to be. And yet, oftentimes in our lives, that's how the enemy comes at us, is that he makes us feel like we're alone, like we don't, like nobody can relate to us and that we're the first ones to ever experience this sin or that kind of thing. And here, Jesus was challenged with whether or not to believe God was with him or not. Now, the warning in Genesis 3 and 4, or sorry, 3, and Matthew chapter 4 is that there is a real enemy of our souls who's who he wants to trip us up the bad news is that we are predisposed to sinning and so the odds are not in our favor but the good news is that with the holy spirit's help like we talked about from galatians 5 we can overcome temptation like jesus with the holy spirit and we can do that with humility continuing in our passage 
also, Jesus shows us, number three, we can overcome with patience. I really love watching YouTube videos. I don't know how you all feel about that, but I, I like it. Um, I also really particularly like to watch DIY videos, do-it-yourself videos, especially woodworking ones. And the ones I especially like are the how to build guitar videos. I just think it's fascinating. They all pretty much show the same thing, but it's like I put it on repeat. But here we go. So people make guitars out of the craziest things, more than just wood. So there's wood, which you expect, clearly. But then I've seen people make guitars out of Legos, uh, out of cell phones, out of coffee beans, and check this, cardboard. Believe it or not, there is someone who worked with the Fender factory and they made an entire guitar with, I think, the exception of the strings and the frets out of cardboard. It's amazing. But one of the most eccentric, if that wasn't enough, that I found really interesting is that there's some company that makes guitars out of skateboards. And what's really interesting about that is that skateboards, I'm guessing, are made out of wood, right? And when the skaters use these tools of the trade, these slabs of wood with some wheels on them, uh, they get pretty banged up and they get beat up and thrown around and all of that kind of thing. And what's interesting is that studies have shown with wood, in reference to instrument building, that wood has a certain quality and timber and character to it if it's gone through something particularly devastating. So like uh, if it's gone through a, a windstorm, for example, and that tree has gone through a windstorm, it's going to have a sturdier solid wood substance to it, right? Uh, With skateboards, similarly, they've been through a lot, and so they show a quality and a character about them. So why am I talking about all of this? In the same way, a season of testing like Jesus experienced, and like we experience in our daily lives, it's kind of like skateboard guitars, Um, and that our lives would not be the same, our testimony would not be the same if we didn't go through these seasons of trial and testing. And so, in verses 8 through 10, and Richard, you can go to the next slide, um, the devil gets one last dig at Jesus. He offers Jesus control of the world. All he asks to do is kneel down and worship him. This act would shortcut the establishment of God's kingdom here on this world. It may have affected whether Jesus went to the cross or not. In some ways it may have, and I'm just, in all of this I'm theorizing, he, it could have streamlined the choosing of the disciples. I mean, who wouldn't want to be with the king of the world and be a disciple of him, right? He gives him this temptation, this shortcut, would ultimately, though, if Jesus took it, Imagine if he took it. It would compromise his leadership. It would compromise him being king. It would be an easy way out. As Adam and Eve, whose ambition was convinced to eat the fruit because of how convenient it would be to gain knowledge of good and evil, the accuser tempted Jesus to abandon God's process for an easy way out. Just as the devil comes to tempt us to sacrifice our hopes on the altar of convenience. 
But like Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given us patience. It's just whether or not we're going to use it. Has the enemy ever come after you to shortchange some process that you knew was in place? Where God had you on a track and you needed to go from here to there and he had you on this path. And, um, but the devil comes at you and says, hey, take the shortcut. Here's the easy way out. Um, if you ever read or watch Pilgrim's Progress, oh, such an amazing allegory and story around that kind of dynamic but i digress what has your response been in those moments i think a lot of us we we've taken divergent trails we we've gone different ways and then we come back and we learn our lesson from that and god accepts us and is gracious towards us will we respond like jesus did and rest on who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit is leading us, or will we respond like Adam and Eve did and choose our own selfish way? With the Spirit's help, like we talked about in Galatians 5, we can overcome. And we can do that with patience. The last thing, last slide here, um, that I believe Jesus shows us through this passage, and we'll close on this thought, Like Jesus, we can overcome, or when we overcome, we prove to be faithful. Imagine the testimony of your life. And imagine if you were to draw on the Holy Spirit like Jesus did. In those moments of temptation, when the devil comes at you, whatever that attack might be, fill in the blank. You know what you're facing. What if... You called on the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you can pray to the Holy Spirit? Just like you pray to the Father, just as you pray to the Son, you can pray to the Holy Spirit as God as well. And you can say, Holy Spirit, how am I doing? Is there some fruit that you're wanting to grow in my life? Is there something I need to work on more? If you pray that prayer, watch out. He might actually show you. And, you know... But at the same time, through it all, that's going to help us become more and more like Jesus. And imagine, if you will, if not just you, but let's say our whole church did that. We all started drawing on the Holy Spirit for that, that power for life and godliness. To live the way that God would have us live. I think it would look a whole lot like Jesus. And imagine... I know this is crazy talk, but imagine if all the churches in town, and maybe not even just all the churches, but like everyone in town started living in this kind of victory. Wouldn't that be amazing? The good news is that it starts with you, and it starts with me. And so um, I know we had planned to do a closing song. I'm just going to cut it short here, but let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll have uh, the blessing. Father God, we thank you so much for the ways that you move in our lives. We thank you for even the times when we are tempted. Jesus, thank you that you are with us through it all. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are walking beside us, and even in the place of temptation, 
even in the place of trial, you are there with us and you never leave us and you never forsake us, even when it feels like we're all alone. We still have you. And so God, this morning we confess to you the times this week when we didn't love you with our whole heart and we didn't love our neighbor as ourselves. We confess to you, God, the times when we gave in to temptation, even just a little bit. And God, we confess that to you because we know that you are holy and you are good. We know that your standard is righteousness. Please forgive us for missing the mark. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood covers all our sin, past, present, and future. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your kindness towards us. Thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you that you are patient with me. Thank you that you love me enough to take me by the hand and to go at even just the snail's pace that sometimes I need to go. And Lord, for my friends this morning here, I pray, God, that you would walk with them. If they call out to you in faith, they call on your name, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to them, that you would help them along this week, and that ultimately, God, their lives would be transformed by that experience, by that simple act of faith. And so, God, this morning as we go from this place, we want our witness to tell about you. We want our lives to tell about you. Help us by filling us with you, Holy Spirit, and by producing that fruit in us through seasons like Jesus went through. And help us to be faithful to you. And so, God, we love you. We give you this day and this week in your name. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me and receive this as your blessing this morning? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.